0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my dilly 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 to... dong, come on. Into sharing and I'm so I will love it
1: if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero.
0: Hello coaches, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Curnine. Joining us for this episode is Jamie Hamilton, coach, writer, writer, philosopher and just a general connoisseur of the beautiful game we've had him on before i'm sure you're aware of his work we had him on about 18 months ago i believe to talk about deserby before he arrived at the premier league and a little insight into deserby tactically And, and lo and behold he's arrived and he's been brilliant in the premier league so this time we wanted to get him on and talk about his latest coach to follow fernando denise In Brazil with Fluminense, and particularly around the topic of relationism versus positionism, which Jamie has written a lot about over the last 6 to 12 months. And I wanted to get him on to discuss this, and I believe that you will love the dialogue. And with an open mind, I think it will make you think about certain aspects of the game tactically that maybe we want to challenge our own thought process. So highly recommend that you check out James' work on Twitter, of course, but not just on Twitter. He's also got a Medium account where he posts his blogs and writes quite a bit. Like I said, his writing is outstanding and is thought-provoking and is detailed and highly, highly recommend every coach checks it out. So thank you so much for the support. Here is Jamie. Enjoy. Jamie thanks so much for joining me the modern soccer coach podcast excited to have you on again very very excited
1: uh no pleasure uh, to be back with you gary Uh been looking forward to this um it's been a while since we spoke last time so yeah no, it's um something i'm looking forward to thanks for uh thanks for having me
0: no the last time we spoke was about the Zerbe, uh before he arrived in brighton and they obviously got because he was a bit of a he was trendy and cool and you know, you give a bit of insight, a lot of insight into what he was about and then, you know, predicted that it would transfer to the Premier League. And lo and behold, it has transferred to the Premier League. W- what have you made of him?
1: Well, pretty much what what I thought would happen, really, it's like he's come in with, he's got such an incredible system and and obviously such an incredible ability to implement that system um, relatively quickly. I was a little bit surprised how quickly he got it going. Um which I suppose is just testament, testament to his ability to communicate, to, to, to adapt. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I wasn't sure certainly the only one who, who saw in this system, this innovation um, that if you put it into a context where uh, there isn't anything like that, then it's probably gonna be effective because it's an uh, innovative idea. I think it's interesting now that we start to see the narratives about, oh, yeah, maybe he needs to change. Like, he needs to find a plan B because teamers are working him out. And that's kind of working out his innovation, which is super interesting. Um, but Deserve seems like a pretty smart guy. Um, I think he's probably got a few more tricks up his sleeve.
0: All right. Today's topic, which we're going to get into, is is this discussion of positionalism versus relationism and Denise and Brazil and Fluminense and his style and all that there so let's start where the definitions um just a, a little post of a tweet that you you basically define yeah. positionism you said where all possible relations are a function of positions relationism where all possible positions are a function of relations so can you give us a little bit of a of a definition and an oversight of what that is.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know these these tweets are. I sometimes tweet things out just as I'm, I'm thinking about them and and developing like ideas um, with other people, right? As well, and and, and chatting um, to other people who are interested in this kind of stuff uh, and like proposing ideas, proposing the frameworks, these kinds of things. And yeah, it seemed to be pretty well. The thing is, this positional play is a thing, right? It's always it's been a thing, I think a recognized concept for a fairly long time and um, so i'm not really creating that and I'm, I'm calling it positionism okay which is something different from positional play um, but the the principles of this this style of play i think are fairly well documented and have been written about a lot in the last 10 years or 10 15 years especially with the rise of um of guardiola and his incredible success and then of course all the influence that he's had JDP right juego de position positional play these concepts and ideas have been really uh, analyzed a lot online I, I, and then that spreads into, into reality as well um so then it's it's interesting to think what that is right and 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 you know the clues in the name right it's positional play and that means that where the players are standing positioned on the on the pitch the structures that they're taking place that they're um that they're arranged in by the coach uh, these structures are affording uh, the interactions that happen within that team. It's the uh, and you can see it from, from like Deserbi or, or Guardiola or whoever. It's the starting structure that then affords the interactions that are going to take place. So your first uh, your first point of call, if you like, your, the, the the primary aspect here is the position of the players, and then from that. You can play your up back throughs, you can do your third man, you can do all these decisions, and the players are still making, but it's within this structured context. So then it's interesting to think okay, well, if that's the case, then what could an alternative be? Well, what if you don't start with position? What well, if you don't start with a static setup? Which, actually, if you watch the is a very instructive example of a static starting point because, and we saw also in the game yesterday, Manchester City. Um, playing against Arsenal, as well, the teams will stand when they, so when the goalkeeper or the or the centre back has the ball. They will now stand almost still, like with their foot on the ball, and 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 the players adopt their their um their positions. Um, and oftentimes it is static. So, and that's fine. That's one way to do it. But what if that's not? What if that wasn't the case? And that you started with movement, right? And there was always there wasn't this defined structure that was affording the players decisions, actions. Um, uh, and the interactions that they're making what if those were fluid and they were actually up to the player in the moment to make decisions not influenced by this organizational structure but by the emergent structure of the moment for them to interpret what was happening in real time and then act accordingly with with principles right short passing keep possession long but whatever you want but the idea being that your the 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 decisions actions interactions are not primarily afforded and governed by an organized structural system it's actually emergent and uh in real time if you like so that's why i would say that the uh going back to that tweet um the if you start with the uh, you start with position then that is the the primary aspect but what hap- what if where you are on the pitch and where you move is actually just a function of the relations of that moment, of the connections of that moment between you, your teammates, the ball, all these things, not the uh, set down plan of the coach at the start. So that's how I, would, how I would try to describe that initial tweet, I think.
0: Yeah, you're saying there that that you're, like, you've not invented positional play, but I do think that whether you realise it or not, you're the first one that I've encountered who has openly kind of questioned the limitations of it or the effects of it. It it comes across as a cool, attack-minded, uh, total football way of playing the game. But your your writing and your voice over well, let's actually challenge this a little bit. Um, that's actually what got me more engaged in the reading about, because I never looked at it from that lens. And then once you start kind of moving from a, I suppose, a, a supposed position of, of naivety or to more cynicism about it, I, I think that's when it opened your eyes. My question would be, like, this machine that you associated with, uh, and I find this really, really interesting. You're writing the machine, the prioritization of standardization, automation, repetition, flattening out of human creativity through mechanized processes designed to benefit and serve a non-human entity. Uh, you're coming across as someone who, uh, be careful, isn't worshiping the the guardiola Cruyff style of football. Um, how do you balance between having an appreciation of it and, I guess, you know, Looking at it in a more objective lens.
1: Yeah. Um and and a first thing to say is that and I've said it before on 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 you know in podcasts I've written about it, I coached positional play for, for a good period of time, right? I'm very interested in positional play. And I was um, let's say, really attached to positional play. And I believed that, that was I believed at that point that it was the best way to facilitate possession controlling football. Um and yeah, that's, that's all fine. And I'm not trying to bring about the, I'm not trying to eradicate positional play. Right. But, and, you know, in that first article, I think that's the the Fernando Denise versus the man machine you're quoting from, I think. And, yeah. um, and like, I, that was the first time I wrote about it. So it was, there's a bit of artistic license, right. In the, in the framing of it. Um, although we can get into some of the things that I'm writing about there because, you know, we can, we can get into the details of what I'm actually talking about and, But I think at that point, I thought it was very interesting, like you say, to posit or propose this alternative, right? To say, hey, this isn't the only game in, positional play isn't the only game in town if you want to control the ball, make a possession-based style, and be effective at football. And it's also important to say at this point, um, while, you know, you say I I came up with these things, they're influenced by Brazilian uh, writers and Brazilian tactical theory that I was, I don't really exactly remember how I came into contact with it. I think it was after I started maybe tweeting, maybe it was even after that first article. I don't remember exactly. Um, but there's, there is, there are people in, in in the you know online who are and and throughout history who have documented an alternative style of of football. Um, the the name relationism is something that I gave to it, and I've I expanded it and maybe added things here and there. But the essence of it is is inspired by these Brazilian writers so it's, it's very important that, that I think that's that's noted it's actually it comes down to taste I suppose because I'm, I'm looking at it more I'm always been looking at football from this perspective of how it makes me feel right and um, when I'm watching it when I'm coaching it when I'm involved in it what is the feeling I get like when you hear a song or watch a film or or eat food or meet a person you know you get a feeling that it's not necessarily something that you've worked out or planned or, or anything like this. Um, and the feeling I get when I watch what we might now call relational football or jogo funcional in Brazil, or Denise's football that's now other teams are adopting, is a very different to the feeling I got when I was watching positional play. It was, uh, I don't know, it's feeling of excitement. It's a feeling of there's something uh, unpredictable about it. And there's a feeling of joy when you see certain moves come off um a feeling of like uh yeah surprise and, and all these things so that's what's kind of that's what's kind of drawing me into it so I, I i watch positional football and still enjoy aspects of it the organization like this, this there's amazing technique amazing ideas we've talked about Deserbi already the innovations and that's all fine but i think it's important for me anyway from my perspective that's one that's one strain of football thought and that's, that's that's nice. If you're into that, you're into that and that's fantastic. And, and coach that no problem. But it's not the only strain of, of football thought. There are different ones. And I think it would be I think it is a much more interesting place, the football landscape, the coaching world and um, the tactical world. And um, when we think of it in as there being different lines of thought, lines of inquiry. And while we do that, then we can actually contrast things and we can look at them and say, well, hey, maybe there's a failing on this side. Uh, that is compensated by this other idea. And at the same time, the other way, maybe there's a failing on this side that's compensated by this idea. And by contrasting them, I think we get a very interesting uh, situation, right? Where we can start to mix, we can start to take influence. If I'm a musician and I only listen to one music, other musician, I will just sound like them. But if I take my influences from all over the place, from, from jazz, from blues, from soul, from techno, from rock and roll, from metal, then hey, maybe I'm going to come up with something really interesting because I'm drawing from a diverse range of perspectives. And I think that hopefully what this idea of creating, and creating, of uh, bringing into to attention uh, an alternative possession football framework, we can then start to have this diversity of approach. Um, so when I'm thinking about balancing them, I'm, I'm trying to think like that, while I have no problem in saying at this point, I have a preference for what you might call <laughs> relational football. And that's like, I have a preference for certain artists Or certain foods like i just that's me right i I just feel the way i feel maybe that'll change i'm not saying i'll be like that for the rest of my life but at at this moment that's what the football i'm drawn to the football i'm interested in but it's, it's not to say and i can make arguments why i prefer it right but it's not to say that i want everyone to stop doing anything else of course not that would be falling into the trap that i'm actually criticizing so
0: yeah, no, th- this is great. And and just to be clear, there, there'll be people listening who are who are coming across your work for the first time, right. and it's not a it's not a bashing because it's twenty twenty three and social media is what it is. It's not that you're that you're going against Man City or going against Barca or Pep, and your work. I think it was the Denise versus Man Machine article where you referenced the eighty two World Cup game, and, mm. and I I love his I love football history like as and that. I never actually thought that that was a turning point of creativity and flair versus not a positional play system but a a structured system. Yeah. Talk about that there moment where you think that was a that was a little bit of a turning point.
1: Well, I think I actually took that from Jonathan Wilson's book, um Inverting the Pyramid. I think I think I think I referenced that with a quote from Jonathan Wilson saying something like this is the day the system died or something like that, or the the, the system's won over something spontaneous. I can't remember the exact quote, but that's that's from Jonathan Wilson who writes these, these tactical histories and things like that. And I suppose it is interesting to look at those other authors and, and look at, and look at the, the, the timelines of tactical history that are that are produced by people, because there's also alternative timelines of tactical history. Remember, Jonathan Wilson's uh, is only one, right? That's a, and, and many from South America would actually criticize Jonathan Wilson's interpretation and call it Anglocentric and this kind of thing, because it doesn't take into account the things they think are important, which is all fine. Again, we have this diversity of interpretation, which I think is interesting. Um, but Wilson's point there, I think, probably serves, you know, rings relatively true in the sense that we had this '82 team, right, of Tele Santana, and I actually, I actually um, recently um, watched like every Brazil possession of the 1982 World Cup, right? Um, every time they attacked, and some of this, some of the sequences are just unbelievable. I, like I didn't, I was, I was born in 1982, right? So I don't remember watching it, like when I was a kid, obviously, um, I wasn't born. But the, um, but watching it now. The movement and the flow, the the principles they had is, I, I love to watch it. It's fantastic. So, and and that team was obviously revered around the world. It was the first time a lot of, uh, I suppose, a lot of football fans in Europe had seen this level of. And it was built around the Flamengo team of that era as well. You had Zico and Junior, and all, I mean, the all these incredible players who had such incredible understanding between themselves and played with these principles of always moving to the future point right they call it the the they talk about this idea the your ponto futuro right the future point where the ball would always arrive and somewhere in the future that the player would always arrive somewhere in the future so they're always moving after they pass it's incredible to watch that's the opposite of this of of a positional system right where they stand in the framework and they pass they transfer the ball around from position to position seeking the opening and then they, they go and attack and this one they're just moving every time they play there's just constant movement and so when you co- contrast these two ideas of the structure, like you say, with maybe something more like a regimented Italian, uh, Italian system, and this fl- flamboyant, uh, fluid Brazilian uh, I- idea of uh, relational understandings, and then you get this almost tragedy, right, from one, just from this Brazilian perspective that this, this the system defeats it, you know, and, and Rossi scores the hat trick, right, and almost counter attack goals. There's a couple of mistakes; they give the ball away at the back. And it's like, I don't think anyone really argues that Brazil were a better football team. You know, I mean, okay, okay we can get into what that means. But there is something about these events, right? These kind of, uh, that have ripples and that the, the, these, these failures against the European opposition from the Brazilian team playing that, that, that system really plays on the Brazilian psyche in this sense. And, and there's this idea of inferiority to European systems keeps creeping in. And over time, it seems as though, according to Brazilian uh, writers and and commentators, that this has really gone gone quite deep into the psyche of the football thinking, and that there is a feeling among many people that they must move to Europeanization in order to compete at the highest level, which is probably why you see coaches like Tite at the last World Cup playing a pretty positional system, Um, and there's been other iterations of it. So it's very interesting, again, from that cultural perspective to 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 listen to the, these Brazilian interpretations of, of the people saying this isn't we, we were playing our version our 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 expression of football which was so important to Brazil which which really I mean they were you know not a wealthy country with huge resources compared to European teams throughout the the, the years and they and they won these World Cups in like flamboyant style like what was going on why is this country from South America so good and. For them there are reasons why that is the case and a lot to do with a lot of it to do with this authentic expression of cultural identity being played out in their football as much as you know art music literature food is important to other places football in brazil has this incredible uh, incredible feeling attached to it so yeah when when it's defeated um in these big moments in these global matches uh that has an impact uh, it affects the narrative the cultural narrative so when Jonathan Wilson points to something like that, I can see why it, it can be seen as an, as an event, not the only event, it could be seen as an event that's caused that, 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 that thinking to come about.
0: Hello coaches, you asked and we delivered. One of the most popular requests we get on this channel is passing warm-ups. And it's not the regular slow way to be passing exercises. No, what coaches are looking for is the one-touch intricate combination type exercises with that emphasis on quality, technique and tempo. So we have decided to put 30 of these exercises together and release them on an e-book that you can get access to right away. If you're a youth coach who's looking for some extra technical work or you're even a college coach or a club coach working with older players looking for some warm-up exercises or some pictures to align with your tactical objectives, we can help you out. Our new ebook, 30 Passing Practices, is available on the link below. It's a PowerPoint that includes video, session details, and coaching points on each slide. Tons of ideas, tons of different pictures, lots of adaptions. You can get it on the link below or at modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Thanks for the support and enjoy. It's also gone, just when you, when I was thinking when you are talking there about the uh, 94 World Cup had a big impact on me. I fell in love with Brazil through Pele videos and Brazil 70 yeah. and 86, but 94 was the first team that I felt connected to because of the era. And um, it was set up as a more of a of a European type system. I remember 442, I think Romario Bebeto, Zinho, yep. M- Mazinho. Um, but what's interesting that is that f- a few years later when I started coaching, I went to a presentation, a conference that Carlos Alberto Pereira was, was presented in and I could, like that team had such an impact on me as a kid. Yep. I wasn't into tactically minded. Then I went to his presentation as a coach oh Jamie he must have done an hour and a half and um, he, had a, he had one of the slides and he took still pictures from every game of the 2002 World Cup. And he was up in the... I think he just went to games and took his camera. And uh, yeah. it might have been the most boring thing I've ever sat in in my life. And I was thinking, jeez, you're Brazilian. I thought you played a different type of
1: football. Yeah, well, I, I, that team wasn't massively revered in Brazil, right? Even Even though they won. Um, and even though you know the four four two we can say it's like a european system although the four the narrow four four two is quite a, a system that you will see in Brazilian football um with the two two sixes two attacking midfielders and two strikers you've got this kind of narrow four two triple two almost you'll yep. see this kind of because it allows them to get together we can get to this it allows them for close proximity right which is a, something we can get to um uh, although yeah Pereira's team was you know was it dunggu maro Silva sitting in the middle um of course you had Romário who's like incredible like I, I remember I loved this team as well I love the, the the you know the baby rocking celebrations exactly. against Holland all these kinds of things these are the images I had when, when I was a kid and um, but also it wasn't the most flamboyant team right you had Rai who's um who was the captain I think but was injured prior to the tournament so yeah it was a team that didn't really have to that, that iconic playmaker I certainly had Romário kind of filled that role but yeah not not massively revered in terms of this kind of uh Brazilian uh, expression so perhaps yeah another another example of kind of europeanization of uh, of play there
0: brilliant brilliant all right not to not to move away uh denise uh you mentioned about like the feeling that you had when you when you saw him that the type of football mm. uh when was that and and can you remember like what it was initially that jumped out at you
1: yeah i've tried to think a few people have asked me this and i can't i honestly can't remember the first the first moment but what i do remember is um, and it was probably it was inter- probably around the, the time I was speaking to you last Gary about um, about De Serby, right I was very into this uh, uh, De- 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 De and I think was into Deserby because it was different it was there was something new about this this, this system. And one of the things I think was that struck me about it was that the, pro- the proximity of the players, right? That the players would actually get very close together in Deserbi's system, which would be different from some of the JDP the positional play systems you see with very wide attackers, everyone spread out across the pitch. You see, like Luis Enrique, for example, now with the Spanish national team and their Paris Saint Germain, it's a very wide, kind of open classical positional play game. Deserbi much closer and i think that's that's really interesting because then you get different kinds of affordances you start to get these relational affordances between players who have these understandings so that so that, i think it was probably something to do with that and and I, maybe i saw a clip or someone said hey have you checked out this team because they were so close together i don't remember exactly how but i remember seeing these videos of these these players so close together seven eight guys in one narrow zone of the pitch and making combinations and i just thought what the hell is this like in 2022, uh, whatever year it was, well, I forget what year we're in now. Right, 2022. Like, what football is this? We're like, this isn't taught anywhere. Like, when you go through all the all the coaching stuff on, on- online and go through your UEFA courses and coaching real real life, like, everything, right? You don't see this. Like, you'd be laughed out of town if you set your team up like that on your UEFA A license. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, but then there's this guy doing it, and it's okay. Well, who is this guy? And then I started watching all these Fluminense games, learning about. A little bit about Denise, I mean, you know, as much as one can from a distance. And it became clear that this guy is very interesting because he's he's playing this fairly radical style of football, which, and according to him, is linked to this idea of a classical Brazilian style, but updated for the modern game. Right. And maybe I think he's been trying to get this system in a way that can work at the highest level for almost all his career. And he's been seen in Brazil as this kind of mad guy who's always placed this, like, elaborate football, but just gets beaten, you know. He'll, he'll have incredible moments where you think, wow, this is the greatest, most beautiful football you've ever seen, but then he'll just crash to, like, you know, a big defeat. And everyone's like, oh, Denise doesn't know what he's doing. But, like, then it seems, it seems to be a Feminence this time around. He's managed to get the system in such a way that he keeps a lot of that uh, those unusual flamboyant spontaneous aspects but can actually compete and they finished third in the Brasileiro last year which is like above what was expected and now of course they're in the final of the Copa Libertadores and Fluminense have never won this tournament. this is the you know the Champions League of South America and they're in this match the final match if Denise delivers this trophy like it's a huge huge deal Um and it's almost validation right for his 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 crazy thinking um, so, yeah, it's been amazing to learn about it and, and study it, which I've been doing. Um, and also, at the same time, watching the team at times struggle and at times it's, 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 it's difficult because in 2022, they were so beautiful to watch. But in 2023, it's been more difficult with changes of players and, and perhaps defenses getting wise to his system and, 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 and you know injuries and other aspects. But it's almost like they focused on the Copa Libertadores more than the league. As a kind of all-or-nothing plan, and it's almost—it's come off. They've like rolled the dice, and they've like—they're in the final now. Um, so while some of the performances haven't been as I think uh, nice to watch as maybe they were in 2022, the, the Libertadores games have been incredibly exciting, incredibly thrilling, um, and with lots of lots of nice play. So it's, you know, now they end up in a final against Boca Juniors at the Maracanã, which is like—I mean, this is crazy stuff. Which if they win, they can play Man City. <laughs> there you go. You'll be a busy man that week. Oh, I mean, Denise against Guardiola. I mean, listen, oh. this, this this is a game, Gary, right? That's a game. That's why we love football for me. Yeah. Because, you know, you watch again, I've not watched the game entirely, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But from what I've this Arsenal um, Man City game yesterday, kind of like that Spider-Man meme, you know, where they just be pointing at each other, yeah. you know? And it's yeah. like they cancel each other out, it's stagnant. And it's like, why football surely would be way more fun when you get these diverse uh, ideas clashing together. And look, Man City would, of course, they're massive. It's like David V. Goliath, right? Fluminense coming to play Man City. But just seeing these two styles go together would be amazing, I think.
0: Yeah, the, the the relationist, again, something that when I started looking at it, again, 2023, so you think of going from polarized view to the other, highly structured, to zero structure. But there mm-hmm. is structure. So can you talk about what the consistencies are and then where the differences are?
1: Yeah, and I think this is one of the big points that probably, um, I probably maybe haven't articulated that well in writing because it seems to be an issue that, that uh, people, there's misconceptions about, right? People think, oh, yeah, Denise, relationism, uh, Jamie Hamilton, yeah, they're talking, no structure, free form, do what you want, players. And it's like, no way, man, I'm a coach. Like, <laughs> you, you can't do that, right? It doesn't. It doesn't just, you don't just go do whatever you want so the question is what is the structure how are you arranging right so from watching denise and various other coaches and and learning about these ideas um, one of the primary ideas is proximity of players so we want to get players close together because that affords quick spontaneous combinations because if they're too far apart it's very difficult to do this kind of thing one twos and and give and goes and little flicks and tricks because if you're too far apart I mean, it's just the distances make it almost impossible. So then, okay, bring them together. Of course, the big problem then is, and what people are so afraid of is, if you're too many of your players are close together, when you lose the ball, there's so much open space, and with the quality of counter-attacking that there is uh, these days, you will just get destroyed, right, very, very quickly. And I spoke, and lots of uh, you know, coaches and analysts and contact me, and that's always the primary concern, and rightly so, right? Is this is all really cool but we're going to get destroyed on the counter-attack, right? So okay. So, how do you mitigate against that? And it seems to me that someone like Denise has developed this idea of playing on the side of the pitch. So they will gather when they gather together. So they're still making a build up. We start the, at the base. They'll still be making a build up. Denise wants to make a build up again. You don't have to make a short passing build up in a relational system. You could play long like Renato Gaúcho at Grêmio, for example would just not really bother with much of a ball exit. He would probably just go a bit longer and then start to play further up the pitch. Denise likes a short ball exit, likes likes to control the ball all the way up the pitch. Um, but he won't do it really in a structured way. He might give it to Andre or Gansel, one of the ball-playing midfielders, will come and just take the ball from the goalkeeper and just start to dribble slowly out. And then when players come to them, they start their passing moves. They tend to then move to the side if they're going to make, uh, make one of their what I call tilt attacks or approximations when they, the players get together. And they gather on the side, which has a few benefits, right? And all, you know, one of the primary benefits is that if you lose the ball on the side of the pitch, the opponent who has won the ball has less options to launch their counter attack, right? They essentially, because they're against the sideline, so they essentially have one eighty degrees instead of three sixty degrees to launch their counter attack. So you're already half their counter attack options by doing it on the side. Then you also have Six, seven, sometimes eight players in that proximity, which means you can uh, counter pressing can come in. If your team is uh, organized for counter pressing, you can do it against the side of the pitch and either foul them or, or, or tag them or stop them from, from doing this counter attack. And if what you actually have then is actually very safe possession because you're on the side of the pitch, lots of players over. And if you have eight guys over there or seven guys, it's unusual for the opposition to bring that many over. So you're usually going to have an overload. So, And you can also go back to your defender or your goalkeeper to release the pressure a little bit. And what you end up having is fairly stable possession, if if you're cool in these situations. So that's what you'll see. And, and as the play progresses, you'll see because they're close together, so many of them, one twos feature heavily, that's one mode of progression, or tavelas as they call them in, in Brazil. Simple give and go, we all know them from five to side football from our kids. But the idea is based around them, right? That, that is how they're organizing. It's not you wait in the half space for me to find you. It's come towards me. We one two, we go. Like that. they are they are looking for these moments. And um, if you look at Manchester City's one-two stats, not very high for how much possession uh, possession they have. Interestingly, they make one twos. They have possession all the time, but not as many as other teams. Newcastle have more one twos than than, uh, than Manchester City. Uh, and then on top of that, you have other ideas such as. Escadinhas or uh, staircases in in Portuguese, because if you're building on the side, you have to get to the middle to score. So what you find is these uh, diagonal entries come from if you're tilted on the left side, seven guys playing on the left, they'll make a diagonal entry into the middle, sometimes with three in a line, sometimes more. And it's maybe a dummy from the central guy who, who steps over it, collects the return. Could be a little series of one twos along the, du- the diagonal line, like they're going up a ladder. And it's all, and it's almost as if these structures just emerge at certain moments, and the players recognise it and go, bam, wow, there we go." So they're not they're not forcing this this moment to happen. They're playing, they're moving, they're approaching, and then when they align, you can go. And Malmo give a very good example of, of this kind of football in Europe. And their use of Escudinius has been very interesting because they've worked a lot for them. They've scored some beautiful goals from these repeated patterns of players aligning in this structure, a structure. This is what I mean by emergent structure rather than put down formational structure, and the players recognizing it and going, "Shit, we can go." And so it's all these kinds of things are are in play, and. I suppose there just one thing I would also say is that I'm not saying that one twos or escadenas don't happen in the positional football. Of course they can. And like vice versa, you know, they happen across football. But it's to do with the, the, the how much are these things the, the, the locus of organization, right? How much are these things the, the aspects that are organizing the players? And in relational football, Tavelas, escadenas, tilting are the structures of what around what the players are basing their, their interactions on um so yeah there's a lot there and we could go on of course the, the article what is relationism goes goes into these um maybe we can link it goes into this a few more tactical tactical concepts that i've talked about um and i don't say to the you know i don't claim to have them all or, or have all the answers to them but in terms of describing them you know there's a few there for sure
0: yeah those principles are really interesting because again the the principles uh, it's a great word we all love now right coaching community principles it's taken over philosophy almost but oh, yes. and and you and what i think it does is because coaches want to be detailed and want to be seen as being diligent is they'll have more principles and the more you have then the less you probably prioritize but that's basically like to me that's what principles are it's a prioritization of what you value in certain structures. when you when you use those, that staircase um, and the 2v2, the give and go, when you, when you, when those emerge as principles, then I wonder, does that draw out then more of players being a bit more, hey, we've
1: got to yeah. try this here. Yeah, and I think it's to do with, I always think of, you know, in terms of what you're attuning the player's attention to, right, from, from a coaching perspective. So if you take, like, a possession game, right, if you play f- 4v4 plus 3 or 5v5, plus four, whatever. You know, your end, get your two guys on the end, maybe have a free guy in the middle. And, you know, you can play that positionally. You can tell the guys, make the structure, keep the structure, fill the corners, have the guy in the middle and circulate the ball, use your seven before advantage, whatever, right? Or, and and then you're, so you're attuning the player's attention to this overriding structure. Guys, structure, possession structure, shape, shape. You know, that's how you're coaching it, saying these words to to try and trigger the, the player's attention, right? Are you in the right place? Where should you be standing? I know, among other things but you could you could flip that and just not do that and say look for one twos right you could award one twos for, for the for the exercise that's how you score so they try to one two around guys to, to to make progressions you can award other uh, you know various other things you can say give and go always move always try to make a new line when you receive the ball so it's you know and, and some people have criticized my you know my proposal that there is two things right a positionism and a a relationism but speaking from like a practical coaching perspective i can when i'm coaching i can care about the shape or i can not or i can go in between i can care a little bit about it care not so much about it on the spec, but when i'm coaching positional football that is radically different to coaching relational style if i'm doing it like on a on a you know each end of the spectrum because what i'm asking the players to pay attention to is completely different and what I'm what I'm drawing their attention to, and I think that when you draw their attention to these uh, aspects like one twos, escadenias, it is allowing them more uh, more or do you say, what you say authority autonomy in in how, deciding how the ball is going to progress because it's up to them. Like you have to combine to do it. It's not that the system has worked out for you and you have to execute the plan of the system. This is the thing. It's this is why I talked about with the machine being an abstract thing, right? it's like that the system and these positional ideas has worked out that has worked the game out right and the coach has designed it we've got the plan we've solved it now you boys or girls or whoever execute the actions okay and of course even in the most strict positional play the player decides of course when they receive is there pressure who do i play to but what but the decisions there uh the options they have are quite limited because of the what the system allows good systems have variations, right? If they come, play long, if that, then that. If, it's like an algorithm, right? It's like a flow chart that the, the, the coaches code the players with, yeah. right? And it's, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's different from the other option, is which is saying my, the system, I don't have the pre-planned solution. You are the players. You solve the problem. So my job as the coach is to facilitate, make an environment where you can solve the problem not to solve the problem for you. So, again, that may be one way to think about the difference.
0: Yeah, this is fascinating because I think this has been brewing for a number of years where coaching community, obviously everyone wants to be Pep and everyone (laughs) wants to play the Pep football. But Pep is high control. Like uh, I I sent you the question of of Henri chatting about, he took Mm. him off at halftime. Mm. It's well known that he's a... But you get a reputation as a controlling coach. So it's this, because today leadership styles are more flexibility. Yeah, so yeah. every coach will say, oh, yeah, like we've got a bit of both, Jamie. We do a bit of both. I do have a bit of relationism, but they don't because we're not great at gauging our own teams for the most part.
1: Yeah, I suppose again, interpretation of what these words actually mean is important. So hopefully, this this podcast, this discussion is going to is, is going to be helpful because relationalism isn't just letting people do what they do what they want. it, it is organizing the team, but it's more to do with self-organize. It's more for creating the environment where self-organization can happen. But that, that's not that's not not doing anything. <laughs> that is creating yeah. the environment. So the question is, how are you creating it? It's about constraints, right? And what constraints are you applying uh, to to create this environment? I also think that. There's nothing wrong with someone who wants to have more ordered football and and more controlled football because everyone's different and some people prefer more ordered ways of life and that's that's true in football and and work and and play and, and across you know people's lifestyles and that's fine no problem so i think that if you are a more ordered control based coach there will be more ordered control oriented players that are going to be really suited to your environment but i think that what again? Hopefully, one of the things that can come from this discussion, these discussions, is that there are players who are not like that, uh, and and when you put a player who is not from this uh, way of thinking, this orientation, this mode of football, which can often happen when, say, a South American player comes to Europe, and they get think of Ganso going to Sao Paulo's uh, Seville, right? And it's like you have this player who's, you know, interpreting the moment, playing in a more in a, in, a, in a freer way right even though it's not complete freedom in this a bit more decisional autonomy whatever you want to frame it and suddenly they get put in a in a system where it's very regimented detailed uh, instructed um, how you have to act in different moments of the game then that's going to be disorientating for the player and it's strange and they and then they look bad right and then people in Europe will say oh yeah he's lazy or he lacks intensity or he's no positional awareness and so all these kinds of things and the player kind of gets branded as like lacking you know the ability but then they're incredible players like they could go to another club and it's like oh my god like they're unbelievable mm-hmm. so like maybe it's a useful tool for uh recruitment right as well to think well if we're going to sign a player does this player's uh profile fit the profile of the coach or an, a, a the club so it might be dangerous to sign uh, a more uh, relational player in a positional system not that you can't do that but it's something that might be worth thinking about you know
0: Yeah, um, it goes the other way as well, where uh, Steve Bruce on Simon Jordan's podcast, uh, he talked about a a journalist that kind of went after him in Newcastle. He put a player on the bench, or he put a player on the pitch from the bench, and the the journalist said that he he told him to play wherever he wanted. Bruce just looks at Jordan and goes, as if, and they're like, as if we'd ever let that happen—that we give someone that freedom—and I just thought I was—I was doing a bit of research for this, yeah. and I, I came across that and thought,
1: "God, the way we look at that as coaches, amazing." Yeah. And again, when you watch Denise's Fluminense, like it's not that the players run everywhere, like all the time. They have striker, they have defender, they have midfield. The but it's the—you know—it's—it's it's not uncommon to see the right winger appear on the left side next to the left winger. Right? you talked about the Guardiola Henri example where. Henri was subbed off for crossing the pitch because he was on the left. He wanted to go play with uh, one twos with Messi on the right, and he got subbed off for it. So, in this, in, in the relational football, this can be allowed. It's it's not a breaking of the rules for this to happen. It might be advised against at certain moments. That like you can still have an opinion of was it the right moment to do it. This kind of thing, but there isn't such these strict uh, these strict um, locations that, that and spaces that the players have to be um, occupying. This rational occupation of space that's often talked about in positional play and it, it starts to then because you know it begs the question do you how much do you need positions in football and uh, you know I mean really I mean do you need to set hell or rather how I mean you're probably always going to have guys who are better at scoring and guys who are better at keeping it out like and faster guys on the side or whatever but like and guys who can play 360 but how much do you need formations in the, in the sense that we understand them in these numerical uh, notations right These numbers, these four, four, two, four, three, three, because why do we need them? Maybe we don't, because, you know, when you watch a game of football, it's oftentimes it's difficult to tell. I started with Denise, like it's difficult to tell what exactly what formation they're playing because they're moving around so much. So they end up imposing these simplified versions of football onto teams. And perhaps that holds us back in many ways. And we need to move away from organising football teams in, in using this numerical notation because it's too limiting. But you know, time will tell. But I mean, I think it makes sense to to move towards a more fluid, adaptive systems rather than than strict, rigid ones.
0: Jamie, we need it because we need to keep analysts and jobs. So don't be <laughs> don't be doing anything that might disrupt that. The piece of the automations that you talked about, and then obviously, you know, we as always the case with coaches at youth level that listen to this that say, All right, well I'd love to play like Pep, but I don't have the players. I'd love to play like Deserbe, but I don't have the players. It's okay for Denise. He's got the players. How does he how does he not how does he, do you think, from a strategic viewpoint, not make this disjointed where players have freedom, you know, where they're not on top of each other or it breaks down constantly?
1: Yeah, and I guess that, again, comes back to these understand- the players understanding the principles of organization, because there are principles of organization. It isn't just do whatever you want. It's saying, okay, if there's a tilt on the left-hand side, the seven guys, they'll use what's called a defensive diagonal on the other. It's like the opposite fullback will just close, come and close the space. It's almost like rest, rest defense we think of now as like a 3-2, like you know, like the, the army waiting, the guys, the regiment guards standing uh, on, you know, in, their, in their formation. That's not a natural way for people to stand. That's coach, right? The coach says, stand, 3-2, rest defense. But in, in this version the rest defense, is just a guy comes in on the other side and closes the space. But that's his role. There's a role there there's an organisation to this and again like the diagonal structures um, maybe i can we can link I've got you know some some pictures of, of how malmö were, were organising what i would call a relational structure and you've got these roles the players in the tilt the guys forming the diagonal the guys doing the the, the rest defence it's man oriented rest defence just the the, the centre backs on the striker and the, the other full back coming in on the defensive diagonal so the players have to be aware of these i mean there's there are also you know put organizational principles in the way that positional play has them but they're just they're different they're not based on again they're not based on the the top down imposition of a set uh arrangement and structure they're based on on different different appreciations right so yeah how do we yeah how do the the players um attune themselves and and, and cohere by understanding the same as the same principle as positional play, by understanding the, 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 the ideas in a collective way, they're just different organizational ideas. If you think, uh, 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 Guardiola's actually, he talks about the uh, a flock of geese, right, when they fly. They fly in like a V, right? It's fly in a formation. If you look, see uh, starlings, a murmuration of starlings, they flock, right, in a different way. They're both coherent. They're both uh, organized. They're both collective uh, appreciations of how to move, but they're completely different. That's based on staying in formation, everyone moving together. Maybe they could switch, but keep the V. So the V is always there. The other, the other, the bird or school of fish, they don't have anything set, but they're moving together. So it's like, well, how are they doing that? Interesting. Maybe a football team will move more towards that kind of movement than than, than set formations.
0: Yes. So again culture society coach in 2023 the bravado on the sideline the you know the the show the game alongside the game sometimes you you referenced or you you quoted uh Denise to being a gardener so hmm. what type of coach behavior are are you observing on the sideline for this I mean
1: and again I I don't I don't um advocate Fernando Denise as some kind of like savior of football or something like that or kind of or even as a necessarily as a role model for people i really don't because denise is like he's an extreme guy you know and he's got he's made coaching actions that i think seem fairly harsh there's a there's a famous incident where, where he shouts at a player really really harshly and it's during covid so you can you can hear the you know you hear what he says and i'm not saying that people need to be like fernando denise but um so in terms of like coaching behaviors in terms of being a gardener what i'm referring to there more is this attending to the environment of creating these, this environment where the problem solving can happen. So practical example would be the tilt, right? The tilt is the environment. So as a coach, you'll be set, you see Denise, for example, if the ball's on the side with the left back, say on the left side near the touchline, and Denise is standing there also, and there's not enough players close, you'll see him waving guys Come, 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 right? But once they're over, he's like, Okay, now, now we've got the environment. You do it. You play now. Create. You're the footballers. You're good. You play for Fluminense Cl- Football Club. Some of your internationals played, you know. And you know what it's like? Like, these guys are good. <laughs> like, these, you don't play for these clubs. Imagine playing against five-a-side against these guys. I mean, you'd be absolutely. You, you have no idea how good these guys are. So, like, allow them to do that. Allow them to find that. And, again, Ganso talks about it being like a street game from when he was a kid. And it's like, allow them to play like that in in that those formative years when they became the player when they learned how to play because they don't learn how to don't learn how to play because of me right and in, in the academy when you come and go you learn to play with your friends in the playground or on the street wherever you play that's where you learn to play football and you get your touch and that's where you become good and that's where you you know, people notice you so can you facilitate that kind of environment and allow them to play like that so coach behaviors would be very strict on making sure that there is that environment for example, if they're too far away, you might get angry. So what are you doing? You're you're not how are you gonna play if you're too far away? So come on. But once they're in, okay, then maybe it's more hands off and say, okay, we know the we look for Tibetan now. Now it's up to you to, to do it. In terms of coaching behaviour, yeah, Denise can lose his shit sometimes, you know what I mean? But it's like I'm not saying it's good or bad, it just is, you know, everyone's different. Um so yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's being strict on, on, on ensuring the environment's correct.
0: One of the things that I think you've and last few questions here, I won't keep it too long. But one of the things yeah. that, we, that we that I picked up on and reading and then listening has been like you're you're trying to challenge coaches to to kind of see beyond one form of something, and it. Then I link that back. and when I'm preparing the questions, I'm linking it back to. All right, well, how do we how do we almost like teach this to a group of people, uh, coaches today in coach education, definitely in the US, are starting with philosophy. And and I I actually think we should challenge that a little bit because the philosophy, if you have a broad experience and a broad definition of what football is, your philosophy will always bring you towards the new camp or the etihad. And and then all of a sudden then you're building that there of a framework. It sounds like you would like us or like football coaches almost to have a broader spectrum of how they're defining the game, good and bad. Um, how, how would you do that as a coach, in education?
1: Coach education is a very interesting concept itself. And I've, you know, I've been through UEFA licenses and, and these kinds of things. And, and obviously I'm aware of all the, all the content that's out there. I'm not aware of all of it. I'm aware of how much there is and there's a lot. Um, and it's like, I don't, I don't want, coach, I, mean, I don't want Jamie Hamilton, I don't want coaches to do anything I don't want to do, but it's like, all, all I'm saying is that from my perspective, and I think for in terms of generating an environment where football can be innovative and creative, I think it needs to have uh, diversity, because I think that when you get too caught up into one way of thinking, into one paradigm, if you want to call it that, because there's nothing challenging, there's no disruption, there's no uh, bumping into each other right there's no movement or friction things become fossilized things get frozen in time and, and they become stagnant and i and i believe that that's what happens is happening in football is that there is a stagnation of, of 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 ideas and i think by by looking to alternative ways we can then cause that friction and that's why i think it's okay to have arguments about this and it's okay to have a little bit heated discussions sometimes right because that's good like right? because if you're in like if you're talking you know, an art music criticism or food criticism, you're gonna have people arguing about things all the time. No, oh, that's such a better album than that, that's a better movie than that, a better director, a better actor. But these these conversations, I believe, are good and generative because they uh cause friction and it's from that and they cause imbalance, they cause movement, and from that novelty arises because new things happen. Like if you're cooking, you put different ingredients together and, and new flavors happen. If you're just cooking with the same shit all the time, nothing new happens. So and I think Juan Malio was alluding to this, although not in these words and these terms, when he wrote this article for The Athletic about the World Cup, when he talked about the homogenization of football and the globalising method that is, that is now prevalent. And he said it's difficult to tell the difference between Brazil and Cameroon. You wouldn't know who was who now, whereas before you would see different styles of play. And this is the issue. homogenization of uh, a particular way of thinking about football fueled by and i would say it's european systems positional systems play because the resources of europe and european football outstrip others and are are far outstripped others throughout football's history especially over recent tv times and all the money's gone into it so of course those systems are going to be buttressed right they're going to have this backing but what if the money what if the geopolitical history was different and the money was in brazil and stayed there and that league was the most famous in the world and that style of play was actually the one that all the big the the most money and the best players were playing in right then football would actually be different so i think it's important to try and take into these because some people would say oh jamie yeah but positional play is just superior it's progress you know it's just a better way of playing football and i actually don't agree with that i i i i would challenge that and i say that i think it's one way and it can be the best absolutely but i think it's going to be interesting to see how well that argument stands up that it is the best way to play uh, as we develop because already we're seeing fluidity and teams mixing ideas so i think that adopting a more fluid relational style can have huge benefits if it's if the resources are there uh if, if the environment's correct and i don't see any reason why again with comparable resources a more relational team can 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 win things, and they do win things. Argentina win the World Cup. They don't play positional football. And uh, Real Madrid win the European Cup, like three times. Like, it's not luck. Okay, they have good players, but now we're seeing other teams start to adopt these 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 methods, and and you know it's it's, it's exciting. So yeah, I, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I think that diversity piece is so so important, uh, especially in in twenty twenty three, where because of so I, I understand why. Critical thinking has been reduced, um, but also the commercialisation of football and then the, the incentivization of winning or developing player X. And now, because we're now hiring 50 people in the club to do it, now you have to get 50 people, you know, you have to justify 50 people's employment to do that there. So you have to all
1: agree on something. And Yeah. And this is the whole system, Gary, so this is the thing, because... If, you're, if one style is, is prevalent and dominant and everyone believes that that's the way to play football, then what's going to happen to development? You're going to be focused on developing players for those systems, right? Yes. The players that are suited to that football. And that's what we see. We see in the academies. We see these, these you know, it's it's, it's okay, what, they want to play top-level football. What does top-level football look like? It looks like that, positional play, generally speaking. Although there's variation. I'm not trying to say it's only that, but, you know, it's weighted towards that. So then, of course, it's in the interest of economies to produce players that can play in these systems. But, you know, what if it wasn't like that? You know, what if it was, you know, because and what ends up happening anyway is that these teams want to sign kids from South America because they're actually different. Yes. Right? Yes. So it's like, well, how did they get good? How did they get different? Like if they're not, if you're, you're training in completely different ways from what you're training. Right. It, it kind of doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's weird. So. I do think that football can look different and, and I, I think it can be more in possession based. I can, it can be based on a more creative in possession ideas than, than safety and control with the ball and, and uncertainty and, and reducing uncertainty and then counteracting that with your off, with your out of possession system. It becomes like chess, it becomes like this, this coach centered game. I think football can be more, uh, top level football can be more based on an in- creative in possession ideas and as a, as a fan of many different kinds of, like, of music, of film, of art, of, of books, I like that because it's imaginative, it's got crea- creativity, it's spontaneous. And I have to say, like, sure, I'm pretty confident that like, a lot of football fans would like that too. Like, and not to say everyone, everyone can have their own way to enjoy things. But for me, to see spontaneity, uh, surprise, unpredictability, chaos, you know, you know, incredible things unfolding in front of your eyes that you didn't think could happen. That for me is is what makes football so compelling. And a, they call it the beautiful game, right? For that reason,
0: I I would go one step further. I wonder if players are are going to move to wanting more of that because again, the this mass production, the factory, the the machine is starting them at. You know, I, I remember like the the impact Mourinho had in 04, 03, 04 05, to the coaching community, more organisations, yeah. different way of training and then I remember coaching kids that have never been coached and then moving them into that type of training and they were like this is amazing Whoa, brilliant and you felt like you were making a difference, well now I think more kids get it earlier so now they're coming to you where they've had 10 years of it and they're so disengaged a lot of the time by monotony of do this, do that
1: you said it yourself from the factory, but I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe you work in McDonald's or you think, shit, I want to make actual burgers. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I want to make nice burgers. Like, OK, okay. McDonald's is OK. We all like a McDonald's now and again. But like, you know, so like artisan burgers, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, there's a, like that's nice to make because it's yourself. You can put your own stamp on it. It's not a burger that is made according to the. The, the protocols, right, of this huge <laughs> corporation, right? With the, with the time, you have to fry them for that many seconds, then you have to flip it for that many seconds. It's like everything's time motion studied in these places. So yeah, if you're a player, okay, I don't speak for all players, of course, but surely there are a number of players that just don't want that and think, no, I can play. I want a little bit more, the uh, you know, freedom to express myself. And, you know, that's clear. Some, a lot of players already speak uh, about these things. The, the the big question always is, will can it be um you know, you know, can it be successful at the highest level? You know, Denise might get to play against Guardiola, Fluminense against City if they win the no Libertadores. I mean Fluminense it's like David V. Goliath, right? I mean to go up against that system of Guardiola with the the petrodollar state backed uh, positional system, right? And you've got the this like these kind of like these gangs from Brazil and like you know these, these old guys. And he's got like 43, 40 years old, Felipe Melo's and their Gansos in there. You know, I mean, this kind of motley crew like playing a spectacular football. And what a match that would be! I, even if City, you know, one eight nil, I wouldn't care. But it, it would just be a fantastic uh, thing to see these this clash of styles, you know? Brilliant, brilliant. Um,
0: Last one for you, and it's kind of similar to the coach education. But let's say it's a development model, and and let's just say you're uh, you'll hit this. But let's just say you got a Denise franchise, and uh, or or or, or, here's a better one. Actually, Uh, I bought a club, and I've hired you to oversee our youth development processes to to eventually play more of a style for that there. Looking at you 14, you 12, you 10, is there anything they can do?
1: Well, certainly I wouldn't be uh, in favor of any kind of Denise franchise or, or something like that. Sorry, guys. I, I'm out, right? I think, I, I, you know, I, I'm out of that. But, okay, the question, yeah, how, how, how might we, you know, take the influence by the style and try and implement it in, in, in places? That's interesting, right? And that's something I've written about as well. And I'm always hyper aware in the situation of, You know falling into the trap that i'm actually uh, of the thing i'm actually criticizing because i'm criticizing essentially this kind of top-down copycat you know just you know follow the from the playbook type thinking so if i'm saying oh look here's a guy called fernando denise he plays football like this now all you have to do is study him and then implement that then that's exactly the problem isn't it so like what we then have to look at is okay what is denise doing denise is in his view anyway and he's spoken about this and in many others view is actually trying to express something uniquely Brazilian, right, about about the football, about something that is he feels passionate about and that his players are connected to and all this kind of thing. So I'd probably, the, the, where I would start is, where am I? What is this club? What is this country? What is this culture? What is the, the the history of this place? What are the resources we have? And what, is there a way to try to express some of these things in a football uh, manner? And that might be positional play. If you're from a Croyfian, you know, uh, whatever school has been, had their history and positional game, then, yeah, why, I mean, you don't want to change that, and you want to keep your tradition of this, what, you know, total football was a masterpiece of, 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 you know, football. It's nothing bad that it has to go, but it's a consideration that just because it was good in Holland or Spain, does not mean it's good everywhere? No. So we need to look at ourselves, where we are, who we are, and think, how can we express ourselves in something that is like an authentic way, or at least to try to attempt to. Not easy. But I think that, but you know, I certainly don't claim to have like these answers that you can uh, sign up and, uh, and and I give to you because I don't. But what, what I, I think is interesting is to try and propose these these things that can actually get us thinking in a slightly different way about the football that we're we're involved in.
0: Fantastic. No, this has been this has been amazing, Jamie. Thank you so much. Um, I, j- I just said before, and we'll, we'll put your your blogs below uh, the link to get people there. But you're doing more writing these days. It's coming up on my my feed all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm still writing. I'm co- I've got a I'm working on a piece on Ganso at the moment, um, the Brazilian player who I'm fascinated by, one of my favourite players for many reasons. Um, hopefully, I'll get that out in time for the Copa Libertadores final, which is the fourth of November, I think. Um, and yeah, there's a few other things coming up around that as well. I'm planning to present my content in a slightly different way as well, which could be interesting, which hopefully will be interesting um so that that that's going to be happening um but yeah, no, I'm still uh yeah still going down the, still going down the rabbit hole I say.
0: brilliant I love it I love it. your writing is amazing um keep keep doing it, and we appreciate all you're doing and challenging ideas um keep us posted of of the other stuff and, and if we can help in any way, just let me know.
1: No, it's really great, Garen, and you know, thanks so much for the invitation. It's really nice to get the chance to, to speak to you again, and uh, yeah, hopefully, it's of interest to people. And if people, yeah, want to get in touch and talk about these kind of things, then that's also cool. Um, the more conversation, the better. The more different opinions, the better. Even if you think, you know, I'm talking absolute shit, yeah, you know, or talking that, you know, it, it's all good, you know. And um, so, yeah, no, thanks for, for the opportunity to speak. It's a real pleasure. Top class. Thank you, Jimmy. All right. Cheers, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kurnine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.